here with you. If, uh, if you're a guest here, my name is PJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be here with our church family again. I, even though I preached like two weeks ago, it feels like I haven't preached here forever because I've preached in a lot of, in different places and not here. So um, it just feels like it's, it's just good to have a normal Sunday back in the pulpit here preaching God's word. And so... Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 18. Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Uh, we just had our Nine Mark Shepherd LA conference last week, and then we had the Southern Baptist Convention this week, and so um, thank you for praying for those things. I think God has answered prayers there for the convention. He's answered prayers for the Nine Mark Shepherd LA conference and for the Southern Baptist Pastors Conference as well. Um, so it's a joy to um, come off of that experience of, of just being with a lot of different pastors into this text. Because this text is a lot of different people that the Colossians don't know. So it's just a lot of people just showing the cooperative efforts of Christians from other churches working together for a greater cause than their own local church's cause. Okay? So with that being said, let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you, you Colossians, saints in Colossae, for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that we may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Justice, Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and tell Archippus, Pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Father, that is our prayer, that your word would dwell richly among us. Lord, we confess that we need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We admit now, Lord, that we will waste our time. We will waste our listening. I will waste my breath trying to communicate your word if your spirit does not come and open our eyes and soften our hearts and cause us to humble ourselves and tremble at your word. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us open our ears to hear your word, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to material gain. Open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word and indeed to see the glory of Christ and his cause and his kingdom in our world. Help me to preach and help us all to hear. Speak a specific and powerful word that broadens our perspective on the calling in our lives and encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Does the name Isla Meyer mean anything to you? Isla would sit maybe the second or third row here, uh, near the front, with lots of perfume on, lots of jewelry, lots of rings. Occasionally, she would raise her hand in our evening gathering and, and ask um, if she could read her latest poem 
to the congregation on a Sunday night when we had our open mic to share with us a poem about the Lord. She would give us hugs and encourage us, younger members here. She was a member of this church who ended up going to, to uh, Northern California to live with one of her family members in her older age so that they could take care of her. Now, she has been forgotten by almost all of Bethany Baptist Church. If you think that's an exception, think again. All of us will be forgotten by this church in this fallen and broken world. Even the pastors. We will all be forgotten by this church. If God keeps this church for another 75 years, may the Lord do it if he, if he tarries to come. We will all be forgotten by the saints who gather in this room or, or some room like this. Bethany Baptist Church at 150. But the goal of life is not to be remembered in this life and in this world. The objective is to fulfill our ministry by impacting others for the glory of Christ. Real fulfillment, real reward, real remembrance, really making your life count. Now, Isla voted for me, among the other members, to be a pastor here. And we needed her vote because it was 27 to 9, and it needed 75% to pass, and it was exactly 27 to 9. So if she didn't vote, I wouldn't be a pastor here, and presumably some of you would not be here um, if, if God did not use that as one of the events that turned this church. Now, it was technically 25 to 9, and it was an illegal vote because two people were not members of our church, but we'll forget about that for now. <laughs> um, but without her vote there, they wouldn't have thought that it passed, right? They wouldn't have thought that it passed. And not only did she help there, but then she helped us as we came to the church, help us begin to turn the church slowly into the current direction that we are in as a church family. So if you've been blessed at all by this church or impacted in any significant way in your Christian life, her life has impacted your life. And most of you don't even know her name. And that's okay. We want to live a life that counts for Christ. The problem is that small-mindedness and self-centeredness presses in on our souls. A small-minded, self-centered kingdom building presses in on our imagination and captivates our imaginations and our joy and our ambition so that we want to build a kingdom for ourselves. We want to set up shop here in this world for this short life as if this is all that matters. And Christ comes with a passage like this to broaden our perspective so that we fully participate in cooperative gospel ministry in order that we would continue in Christ with a broad-minded and Christ-centered sense of fulfillment and fullness. God wants you to have a full life. He wants you to sense the fullness of life that is for you in Christ. So here's the main goal. Fulfill your cooperative ministry so that you continue in Christ with a real sense of fullness and fulfillment. Okay, fulfill your cooperative ministry. That's, that's it. Just if you get one phrase, that is it. Fulfill your cooperative ministry. That's the main goal. And the effect, hopefully, is that you continue in Christ with a real and true sense of fullness and fulfillment in your life in Christ. How shall we do this? How do you fulfill your cooperative ministry? the way Isla did and others do, five keys. Sorry, Grace and others who take notes. Five, five points today. You do have some pages, you have some space on page nine as well. Page seven has some space and page uh, five has space. So I know this might not be enough for those who take a lot of notes, but five keys, okay? And here are the five keys. Be informed, be greeted, be reading, be exhorting, and be remembering. Okay, five things. Be informed, be greeted, be reading, be exhorting, and be remembering. Not the smoothest rhetorical outline, but it'll get the job done today. All right. Firstly, be informed, verses 7 through 9. Look at verse 7 through 9. Tychicus, Paul writes to the saints at Colossae, the local church that's meeting in Philemon's home. He tells that house church, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that you, he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. What does Paul want them to be? 
What does he want Tychicus and Onesimus to do? To do what? What does Paul want Tychicus to do to the saints in Colossae? You guys tell me. What does he want them to do? Encourages one guess. Any other guess? Tell, tell the news, right? Inform them. Now, so that they can be encouraged. But the, the task for Tychicus is give an update, right? They'll tell you about me. They'll tell you about how we're doing. They'll tell you about all our circumstances. I'm not writing it in this letter. I'm giving this letter to exhort you to continue in Christ. And I'm sending it with Tychicus so that Tychicus can tell you about what's going on with me and my life, okay? So we want to be informed by messengers, Tychicus and Onesimus. We want to, he's telling them, I want you to be informed about me, Paul, and, my, and the gospel ministry here. And the purpose of it, like um, one of our brothers said here, is so that we may be encouraged by being informed about other people. So be informed by faithful messengers. Look at verse seven. His name is Tychicus. Now we have a lot of friends named Paul. You have some friends named John, some Peter. You might even have a friend named Moses. Um, or if you have a Latino friends, you might have a friend named Jesus, right? You have friends who are named after certain people in the Bible. My, my name, Peter, John, it's named after, you know, um, Bible characters. But um, nobody names their kids Tychicus, right? Or Aristarchus, or Archippus, or Epaphras. But these are the names here given in the Bible. These are heroes of the faith, less, lesser known. Who is Tychicus? He's a dearly loved brother. He's a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant in the Lord. He's a brother because Christ has made, made us brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We've been adopted into the family of God. He's a faithful minister, so he's serving, and he's a fellow slave in the Lord. He, he's serving the cause, and he's enslaved to Jesus because Jesus is Lord, Lord of his life. And so, so Tychicus is a faithful messenger and informant and letter uh, mailman, right? Letter carrier. He's carrying the letter of Paul to, to the saints in Colossae. Not only that, Tychicus is one of those leaders that when Paul wants to get Timothy or Titus to come back to him, he'll use Tychicus as a sub. So he, he's that, Paul is that confident in this man's leadership and his ministry capability that he says, hey, Timothy, leave Ephesus. I'm sending Tychicus. He'll take your place there. I need you to come and visit me. Or Titus, go, plant, go appoint elders in Crete and then come back here and then I'm sending Tychicus to you. So Tychicus is a faithful man that's been discipled and knows Paul's heart, knows Paul's ministry. He is a faithful leader. He's a faithful servant of the Lord. He loves the churches so much so that Paul can trust him to go do significant gospel work in his place. So Tychicus will update you guys. And not only is it Tychicus, there's also another man who's coming with information and his name in verse nine is what? Onesimus. Have you heard of Onesimus's name anywhere else in the Bible? Anyone? Where? Philemon. Philemon. Who is Onesimus in the book of Philemon? He is a slave who ran away illegally from Philemon, met Paul somehow, and what? Became a Christian. He repented from his sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and was forgiven of all his sins. And now he, go, he goes from former slave or current slave, runaway slave who broke the law and owes Philemon financially because that's a financial obligation. It's basically like breaking, like declaring bankruptcy illegally and just saying, I'm not paying for anything that I owe. Instead of that, instead of him being someone that Philemon can press charges against, now he becomes a brother in Christ. And notice he's one of the Colossians because Philemon, Philemon is actually his house where the church meets. So you would have seen Onesimus there as a non-Christian because he's, he's a slave servant of Philemon as the church is gathering every Sunday at his house. You see Onesimus there in the household. But now Onesimus has been converted. And so Paul is sending Onesimus and Tychicus back to give an update on Paul. Now there's more to Onesimus' story. Read the, read the book of Philemon after Titus if you want to know that, that how Paul's going to restore that relationship. But the point here is that there are two faithful messengers, two faithful servants, two faithful brothers who are bringing information about Paul and his ministry to the saints in Colossae. One more thing about this that we just see in these relationships and cooperation is that um, we will sin against each other, right? We, we will be sinned against by people who have hurt us in the past and they are part of this greater Christian family and greater Christian mission. And we need to find ways to cooperate with Christians who hurt us. It's just part of faithful 
gospel ministry in this broken world with, when all Christians are sinners. Okay, so we, they need to be informed by faithful messengers, but they also need to be informed about news and the welfare and everything. Look at verse, in verse 7, it says, um, he will tell you news about me. So be informed about the news. And then in verse 8, um, he will tell you so that you may know how we are, how we're doing. So they, they might know the welfare of, of Paul. How's he doing? And then in verse 9, he says, um, uh, let's see, they will tell you at the very end of verse 9, they will tell you about what? Everything here, the circumstances. So, brothers, if you're going to, and sisters, if you're going to be cooperative in your ministry, you need to find out about other ministries. And the people you know, get an update. Get information. Get news about them. Know, learn about their welfare. How are they doing? Learn about their circumstances. What's going on in their lives as you partner with them for gospel ministry. We are supporting here at Bethany Baptist Church, we're supporting a church plant. What's the name of that church plant we are supporting? Anyone know? Emmanuel Church, and where is it? In, in Fullerton in Orange County. So Emmanuel Church, Orange County. And the pastor's name is? Jason Barris. And his wife's name is? Beverly Barris, right? Bev. And so do we know what's going on in their lives? Well, I called Jason yesterday in application of this text and said, Brother, how are you doing? How's your welfare? Tell me about everything going on over there. So let me give you an update. Let me play the Tychicus role here as a faithful messenger to tell you about one of our partners in the gospel. They just started getting the word out more on social media. I think it might be a good idea for all of us to just do a social media bomb together because there are Christians we know in Orange County who might follow one of your feeds and know about this church if they're not finding a church. So maybe this week, someone might want to orchestrate together on email a day where we all post at the same time, Emmanuel Church in Orange County. But they started that. They, they have a church facility now. It's where For His Glory was meeting, Tracy's former church. Uh, they're meeting there at 1 o'clock. For His Glory was paying $6,000 a month, which is too much for their church. Guess how much they got the deal for? For $2,000 a month. So they're going to be meeting every Sunday for $2,000 a month. We're covering half of that because we're giving them $1,000 a month as a church family for the rest of this year. They are not a church yet. They are a bunch of Christians meeting together, but they have not covenanted together in mutual responsibility and collective responsibility. They hope to do that in a few weeks. They were planning on doing it last Sunday, but because there are more who are coming, Jason wants to have all of them be the charter members when they initially covenant together as a church. So you guys could be praying for that. Pray that, he says, pray that they would be evangelistic. I sent this to you guys by email, right? Um, they have, um, he's preaching Matthew 28, 16 through 20, even today. Um, Bev started Christianity Explained with a non-Christian friend that they met. And so you could be praying for that. And then Josh and Ashley, who are missionaries who are supposed to be in Dubai, they were in Dubai, they have now decided to join Emmanuel Church in Orange County. As we pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send more workers into Southern California and to the, LA, the greater LA area, this Josh and Ashley is part of our answer to prayer. They are supported missionaries and they're going to be coming out here to do uh, an internship with Jason and hopefully be long-term at this church to help establish the culture of this church. So pray for Josh and Ashley. Jason is greatly encouraged by that. Uh, Jason is really excited. I mean, I told him, brother, you're, you're rebuking me even as you're telling me your excitement. He's excited that he gets to preach every week God's word. He's excited that he gets to plan a Sunday gathering and he's in tears every week, prepare, like preparing, just so grateful for the opportunity for a church to come together. And he's seeing God's hand providing step after step after step as they prepare to plant this church. Their marriage and family have been good, chaotic, but good as they've been hosting people. And so he's praying that, that he would grow in his administrative responsibilities. And I, as you know, if you know me at all, I know all too well the struggle of administrative responsibilities, right? So I'm praying for that for him. You should be praying that for him. Brothers and sisters, we have an investment and a stake in their church. We do well to pray for them. We do well to be informed by them. We do well to ask them how they're doing. I mean, a, a passage like this, you need a Tychicus or Onesimus to go um, to, to travel. But today... You have a phone, right? You got email. You got FaceTime. You have a car. You can drive over and see people elsewhere who are working hard for the gospel to encourage them in your cooperative ministry. So why should we be informed though? Okay, that's good that we're informed, but what's in it for us? Look at verse 8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose to, to let you know about me. Why? So that what? So that you may know how we are and so that what? He may encourage your hearts. That's what we want. We get weary in this world. 
You get weary in your Christian life. We get, we get bored and we get into a routine and we get in ruts in life. And we need encouragement in our hearts to keep following Jesus, to keep sacrificing our lives for Jesus, to keep pouring out ourselves for Jesus. And the, one of the ways to encourage your heart to do that is by hearing about other people who are doing that, right? And so he will inform you. You'll be informed that the gospel is spreading, that God is working, that our investment and partnership is valuable, and that even the work we're doing at home is valuable as you see the work going on over there. And the main thing you want to be encouraged by, look at Colossians chapter 1. The main update here that should encourage your soul in Colossians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. I'll take the second, ver second sentence of verse 5. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, look at verse 6, the gospel that has come to you, and this gospel is what? Bearing fruit and growing where? All over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is growing. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. It's bearing fruit. We don't know about it, but we can be informed by others that it is bearing fruit. I mean, we just sang here, pity the nations, O our God. Constrain the earth to come. Send thy victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. And God is doing that. The gospel is spreading. People are hearing the gospel. Faith is coming by hearing. Disciples are being made. People are being discipled and they're converting and they're joining churches and they're getting baptized and they're learning in that church to obey all that Christ commanded and they're establishing local churches and that church is cooperating with other churches to reach others in their region and even abroad so that all the unreached language groups of the world will eventually hear the gospel as it grows and bears fruit all over the world. If you're not a Christian and you forget everything else I say today, please remember this. The gospel is good news for you. And it's good news because there is bad news. We're in a bad situation. The situation is this. We are sinners who have rebelled against God. God is holy and righteous and he created you and he created me. And we are sinners by our nature. We're sinners by choice. And we are, sinner, we are enslaved to our sin. We're slaves of our sin. Even if we wanted to break out of our sin, we have no power to do it. And not only that, we are condemned in our sin. We are doomed to God's judgment for our sin in hell forever and ever and ever. But the good news that's spreading all around the world, the good news that is coming to your ears right now, that might even cause the gospel to grow among you non-Christian children or guests even today, is this. God sent his son Jesus to live the life you should have lived, to obey God and trust God and obey and fulfill his law covenant that you should have fulfilled. He obeyed it and fulfilled it. And yet he died on the cross in God, under God's judgment. Not because of his sin, because he never sinned. He died for your sins and for my sins. And then he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. And that death counts for you only if you repent from your sins and repent from your religion and your righteousness and your own goodness and trust in Jesus Christ alone. God is calling you. He's inviting you. He's summoning you. He's commanding you to come to Jesus now. Repent from your sins and trust in him and receive eternal life. Receive forgiveness of your sins. Receive God's Holy Spirit who will live in you and empower you to follow and enjoy Jesus throughout the rest of your life and into eternity. That's the gospel and that's good news for you. So we want to be informed about these things because we want to live for the cause of Christ so church family, let's be informed. Let's keep up to date with our missionaries in Central Asia. Let's be informed with our friends who are gospelizing and discipling. You know, it says in, our, in the Baptist faith and message of our convention's confession of faith that Christ people should organize associations and conventions as may best, um, as may best secure cooperation for the great objects of the kingdom of God. Members of New Testament churches should cooperate with one another in carrying forward the missionary, educational, and benevolent ministries for the extension of Christ's kingdom. We should be cooperating and we should be working well. And church family, you do a good job at this. We do a good job at this as a church. We have Shepherd LA where we cooperate with other churches and we had a conference just last week. We have the Los Angeles Southern Baptist Association and the Long Beach Harbor Southern Baptist Association. We have the Gospel Coalition LA which is going to relaunch this year. We're part of the Nine Marks family in some unofficial, informal, secretive sense. We are um, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're 
there's a new network, a new Baptist network we're going to be telling you about that hopefully we decide to join. We're supporting Emmanuel Church Orange County. Um, and you know why we're doing this? Because First Southern Baptist Church of Long Beach sent their members, released their members to start this church in Bellflower. They were cooperating with a church association and with other Christians and trying to start new churches. And here we are today feeding and feasting on God's grace because of First Southern Baptist Church of Long Beach in March of 1949. And really September of 1948 when they sent a Sunday school, started a Sunday school here in this area. Pastors, don't see cooperation and pastoring your church family in competition. They are not in competition. Church cooperation is a mark of a healthy church. It's not an optional extra to a healthy church. It is necessary for church health. And for healthy pastoring, that doesn't mean all our pastors have to give equal energy to both of these things. But we do need pastors in this church and in other churches to be concerned not only for their church's growth, but for the greater growth in the region. We need that for healthy churches in our own church as well. And so let's keep that in mind. And church family, we've covenanted together. It's, we said, we promise, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, and to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry and the spread of the gospel through all nations. So we give our time. We give our gifting and our relational capacity. And we give our money, not just for this church, but for this church, but alongside with this church, this church as a partner church for the spread of the gospel here and to all nations. Church family, keep doing what you're doing and grow in being informed by what's going on around the world. All right, so that's the first key. Be informed. Number two, be greeted. Look at verses 10 through 15. Chapter four, verses 10 through 15. You see here, you know, what, is, what, what are greetings? According to um, Wikipedia, I like their answer here. Greeting is an act of communication in which human beings intentionally make their presence known to each other to show attention to and to suggest a type of relationship usually cordial or social status, formal or informal, between individuals or groups of people coming in contact with each other. So it makes, makes the presence known to each other and it shows attention to each other and it suggests a type of relationship. It encourages a type of relationship. That's what greetings do. And look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. Mark sends you greetings. So does Jesus, who is called Justice, verse 11, sends you greetings. They are of the circumcision, uh, they are, they are, they're Jews, they're co-workers in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, what does he do? Sends you greetings. Look at verse 14. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas, what do they do? Send you greetings. So church family, receive greetings from other Christian family. Not only that, look at verse 15. Not only should you receive greetings, verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. The church in her home. Not only should we be receiving greetings from others, we should be telling others that we said hi. Hey, tell that church family we said hi and we love them. Right? Tell those Christians over there hi. Tell them that our church family says hi. Now, presumptuously, when I preached on Monday at the, at the pastor's conference, I said, I bring greetings on behalf of Bethany Baptist Church. I'm just trusting you wanted to bring greetings to them. We have been praying for them as a church. So I did tell them we've been praying for them, but I assume because we've been praying for them that you also wanted me to bring greetings to them. But that, that is not a mere formality. That is what is done here. I mean, we read, Rock read, right, when he led the gathering, it says here a command in, in, in Titus 3.15, greet those who love us in the faith. There are many, you know, we change this verse every month. There are many verses in the New Testament about greeting. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, greet one another. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Greet those by name. Greet the saints by name. Send our greetings. Receive greetings. This person greets you. Say hi to that person. This person says hi to you. This is all over the New Testament. And it's important for our Christian lives. What are greetings for? I try to look up a theology of greetings. I think I need to develop this a little bit more, but I'm gonna give you my sketch at least right now. I think we need to think about a theology of greetings. Why, why this command? Why this spiritual exercise of greeting one another? 
Well, greetings mean that you acknowledge somebody, that they are acknowledged. There's a meaningful connection established between you and the person you greet at a personal level through personal attention. When you make eye contact, I was thinking, do I start giving some applications of make eye contact with each other, look them in the eye, use their name, greet them warmly, um, smile when you greet each other, but you acknowledge people, there's personal attention, and a relationship is either initiated for the first time or a relationship is reinforced in a particular direction. Get that? You reinforce a culture of your relationship because it goes the other way too. If you don't greet or you don't greet warmly or you just shrug your shoulders when, you know, when people come home, that also creates and reinforces a culture of relationships in your life. In your life. Greetings build intimacy and encouragement to each other because there's that human connection. So why should we greet? We should greet to encourage people, to let them know that we see them, that we care about them, and that right now, at least in this moment of greeting, we are here with them. So greet one another. Be greeted, be greeting others, receive greetings, give greetings. Now, who are these people? Oh wait, let me say one more thing before on this theology of greeting. So um, I want to commend you again, church family, uh, Mark Dever and uh, Bobby Jameson and the rest of the crew. A lot of them, um, they spoke about you uh, during our lunch upstairs. And one of the common uh, refrains from every one of these guests is that you really love each other, that you really are warm, and that you seem to really care about them. One of the pastors said, you know, like I... I feel like when I visit other churches outside of my home church, I feel like it's a letdown in some ways. Like I don't feel the warmth, but I feel like I could even just be a member of this church right now and just live my life here as a member of this church. Um, that warmth, I think, comes from our greeting time in part. I debated, you know, this church, our church Sunday gathering uh, form and our liturgy has changed over the years. And I was really debating taking out greetings but praise God for the, the older saints who did not want that taken out in the beginning. I think I would have taken out in my younger days. But after thinking about this passage and just thinking about the general culture of our church, that greeting time is not a throwaway three minutes. It's a priming of the pump. You see each other, you hug each other, you look each other in the eye, you feel known, you're acknowledging others, and then you do it more after the gathering ends. That's important. It's really important for your spiritual life. Don't make it a point to come to the church gathering after the greeting time. Come on time, right? Come at 10 a.m. It's not a, we don't waste anything. We have a long gathering. We don't waste anything in what we do here. And greeting is one of those things. All right, so who are these people who are greeting? Let's, let's, we have some names here. If we're gonna humanize people and acknowledge them, we need to acknowledge the specific people here. So you see a few different people here, right? Look at verse 10, Aristarchus. Anyone who's pregnant, you might wanna name your next son Aristarchus. It's a cool name. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. So Aristarchus is in jail with Paul. Not all of these partners are in jail. Some are ministering to him alongside him and they're visiting him. Aristarchus is actually in prison, in chains for the gospel with Paul. What a blessing when you're imprisoned for the gospel to have a brother in Christ imprisoned with you, right? What a blessing that God... God is everywhere and God dwells within you, so God is present. But for God's presence to be in the presence of a brother chained with you in prison. What a joy, what a blessing. So Aristarchus is there. He loves Jesus. He loves Paul. He loves other churches. Paul, you're writing a letter to Colossae. Tell them I said hi. Pass on my greetings to that church family. And then Mark, who's Barnabas' cousin, um, you have here in verse 10, uh, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. What do you guys know about Mark? Two things we know about John Mark. Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey, on the second missionary journey. And some way in the middle of that missionary journey, what did, what did Mark do? He abandoned them. He left them. It was too inconvenient. He reneged on his commitment. And they were counting on him and depending on him for some parts of their ministry. And he dropped the ball and just bailed. And so the next missionary journey, 
Paul and Barnabas are planning to leave. And Barnabas says, let's take Mark. And Paul says, we're not taking Mark. Barnabas says, yes, we are. And Paul says, no, we're not. And so they have a sharp disagreement and they decide to make two mission teams. Paul takes Silas with him and he goes one way. Uh, Barnabas takes Mark and he goes another way. And there's a sharp disagreement because Paul did not think it was fitting for Mark to join them on their missionary journey. Well, somehow later on in Paul's life, here in Colossae, as Paul's in jail, near, here towards the, after the third missionary journey, and he's on, in jail here, Paul is saying, Mark is a faithful brother, and Mark sends you greetings. And he's saying, in case you're bitter towards Mark, because you heard about the sharp disagreement, when Mark comes to you, what should you do in verse 10? Welcome him. Welcome him. Don't hold, hey, aren't you Mark the, the sellout? Aren't you Mark the flake? You're, you're Mark the flaker, right? No, like, don't, don't do that. When he comes to you, welcome him. Encourage him. He's one of the brothers. Again, if you're going to cooperate in ministry, you will fail each other inside this church and with other partnerships. There will be people who go back on their word. There will be people who, who struggle with sin and pride. Everyone will struggle with sin and pride. And there will be people who hurt you and break at and tear at the unity and the cooperation and the mission. Brothers and sisters, we have a, a Lord who forgives us of our sins, right? He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He's patient with us. That doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging, but we must work through the difficulties and challenges of relationships to partner together for gospel ministry and to welcome each other warmly. Look at verse 11. There's more Christians mentioned here. So does Jesus, who's called Justice. Justice is probably his Roman name or his Greek name. And instead of going by his Jewish name, he goes by his Greek name. Just like Paul is Saul. It's the same name. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his uh, Greek name and his Roman name. So he goes by Paul. J Jesus here is going by Justice, which is a good thing if you're talking about Jesus all the time, right? Who's the Lord Jesus? Um, now, these alone are of the circumcised and are my co-workers in the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. I love this. So what, are they, what is Paul saying? What's their ethnicity? They're what? They're Jewish. Who are, who's Jewish? Mark, Aristarchus, and um, Justice, right? Three Jews, and then the others are not Jewish. So this shows two things, at least. One, we are one people, right? Jews and Gentiles, we're one team, we're one family. We are the new covenant people of God. That shows one thing. Number two, these three brothers in particular have been what to Paul? A what? Comfort to him. Now, they have Christ in common, but what else do they have in common? Their Jewish ancestry and Jewish culture. Now, we are all for diversity. And to be a compelling community, what we need to show is that what we have most in common is Christ. But there is nothing wrong with having a personal comfort from connections on cultural and other ways that are not tied centrally to Jesus Christ. That shouldn't be the main thing. That shouldn't be what central, that centrally um, locates our partnership and our love for each other. Christ must be central. But it is acceptable and okay, as long as it doesn't decenter Christ and marginalize Jesus. It's okay to connect with some members other, rather than other people, and some Christians more than other Christians, on other, on other levels. When I hang out with other pastors, there's another connection I get, especially when they are the ones who are preaching every week. There's just a connection we have. Nothing wrong with that, as, as long as that doesn't become the central thing to our relationship. But it's okay to get particular comfort from particular people because of particular connections. You just want Christ to be central and make sure that you're loving all of the members, most of all because of Christ Jesus. So you have the most important thing in common with all Christians. All right, so there's, so there's some Jewish Christians there that are working for the sinner-saving, curse-reversing rule, the kingdom of God. And then look at verses 12 and 13. So those are the Jewish ones. And then you have some Gentile workers, Epaphras, and I love this. We can't spend too long here, though verses 12 and 13 should probably, probably be a sermon in and of itself. Epaphras, now remember in, in Colossians 1.7, who was Epaphras? He was the leader of their church. He's the one who planted and started their church. He was converted by Paul, started the church in Colossae, started the church 10 miles away in Laodicea, started the church 20 miles uh, further in, um, where's the other place? In, uh, I'm blanking out here. It's somewhere here in this text. I can't remember. There's a third place that he, that he um, th where is it? No, Nympha's the name of a person. Laodicea, where is it? 
Hierapolis, yeah, Hierapolis. The third, that's the third place, which is about 20 miles from Colossae. So in those three places, Epaphras was, was planting these churches. And what does Epaphras do? Church leaders pay attention. Those who aspire to be church leaders pay attention. And all Christians pay attention. What does Epaphras do? Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So we should greet. But look at this. A little side note on Epaphras. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. How often is he praying for the church at Colossae? Always. They are regularly on his heart and his mind. He is always praying for you. And not only is he praying, what kind of prayer is this kind of praying? This is wrestling type prayer, right? This is struggling and agonizing. The way Jacob wrestled against the angel of God, so to speak, and just would not let the angel of God, let God go, really, until he blessed him struggling, pleading. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not asking once, not asking twice, but asking three times that the cup would be passed from him. Struggling. God, mature these saints. Grow them. Fill them with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And not getting discouraged when God doesn't answer or give you a yes right away. Or three months later. Or six months later. But you continually wrestle for your church family and other gospel workers in prayer. He's always wrestling for you in his prayers. Why? What's the goal of his praying? So that what? Two goals. So that you can be mature in your Christian life, not blown away, that you can endure to the end, and that you are fully assured in everything God wills. That you know and you trust and you're confident in what God wills. That's Colossians 1.9. Paul's prayer. I pray that you may be filled in the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may um, know God's will and bear fruit in every good work, pleasing him in all things. Paul's prayers are like Epaphras' prayers. Epaphras' prayers are like Paul's prayers. And they should be like your prayers. Praying for the maturity of the saints. Praying that they would know God's will. And you know the difference, you know, when we know it, but we don't really want to do it. I was going to share a prayer request with you. Might as well share it with you now. Uh, I think on Friday night, me and Francis were on the couch, and I was like, I'm going to share a prayer request to the church, but I probably should tell you before I share it with the church because you're my wife and you're here, right here. It wouldn't be good that you find out through the email. But I think I'm about sending the church a prayer request that I just don't feel like reading my Bible and praying. And I've been feeling this for a few days now where it's, it's a chore and I just would rather do a million other things than read my Bible. Not that it's always at the top, but I, I feel like almost zero desire right now. So you could pray for me in that. But, but, but it, so it's not just knowing God's will. I know I need to meditate on God's word day and night, but being fully assured of God's will. What's that? that? The difference between knowing that I need to meditate on God's word day and night and me being so assured that this is the best thing for me to do as part of my day. I'm so sure of it that I want to do it, that I can't wait to do it, that I know that when I'm doing it, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do when I'm doing it, and that's supposed to influence my parenting and my husbanding and my neighboring and my pastoring and my worshiping of Jesus. That I'm fully assured in what God wants me to do. Not just knowing what to do, but enjoying and fully resting in and being devoted to what God wants me to do. That's what we should be praying for each other. We don't want to be hearers only or knowers only of God's word. We want to be doers who are fully assured of that will. And then look at verse 14. Two more people on the team that are sending greetings. Verse 14, Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Now, Luke wrote most of the New Testament, uh, word count-wise or space-wise. Luke wrote which books? Luke, good, yeah, good. <laughs> Bible scholars here. Luke, and what's the second book he wrote? Acts, right? He wrote Luke and Acts. And those two books make up uh, more than any other New Testament author's writings. And he is not of the circumcised. He's not Jewish. A Gentile here is writing about Jesus' life and about the spread of the gospel all around the world. I mean, Luke is basically doing what, what, what Paul is doing here. He wants us to be, what Tychicus is doing. He wants us to be informed about the gospel spreading around the world. So Luke does that so that we would be joyful in the Lord. And then there's Demas. Demas who sends you greetings. Notice there's no description of Demas here. I don't know why that is. But do you guys know how Demas is... Uh, life moves on later in 2 Timothy 4.10. So if you want to turn to 2 Timothy 4.10, this is a scary reality. 
And this is scary even to our own church members because it can be true of us. 2 Timothy 4.9, Paul tells Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Why? Because Demas, presumably the same Demas of Colossians 4, Demas has deserted me. But this is not like a John Mark kind of deserting me out of inconvenience. Why has he deserted me? Since he what? He fell in love with, he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Justin prayed about this in, in our prayer time, right? He loved this world. And, and God has said, do not love the world or the things of this world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride in life, the pride in possessions. Because anyone who loves the world is not of the Father. He loved this world. And according to Colossians 1.22, Paul's prayer is that Christ would present you blameless if you don't shift away from the hope of the gospel. Well, Demas apparently shifted away from the hope of the gospel. Paul, Paul's main burden in the book of Colossians is that you would continue in Christ all the way to the end, not being captivated by philosophies of this world, but setting your mind on things above where Christ is. Well, Demas did not continue in Christ. He was taken captive through philosophies and empty deceit uh, according to human tradition and the elements of the world rather than according to Christ. Demas is a picture of Colossians failing in his life or him failing to embrace the message of Colossians. He did not, according to Colossians 4.17, just to look at what we're going to get to later, it says, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can fulfill it. He did not pay attention to his ministry. He did not pay attention to his life. He did not pay attention to what he loved. And he did not fulfill and accomplish and complete his ministry. He shifted away from Christ. He fell in love with the world. Taken captive. First a temptation. Then a sin then maybe a secret sin, then maybe confess it once in a while, but not all the time. And then realize that that sin has now gripped your heart. Or as, as, as God said to, to Cain in warning, uh, in warning Cain, um, be careful about sin. It is crouching at the door and it desires to master you. That's what sin does. That's what the world does. That's what philosophies and ideas that place Jesus just a little bit off the center that's what they do to you. They captivate you and push you and pull you away from Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, we need to take heed to the word. This can happen to you too. We need to take heed to God's word. We need to take heed to God's warnings and his promises and his pleasures in Christ Jesus, lest we fall away. Furthermore, we, we are not shocked and surprised that people fall away. I'm telling you now, look here. If you're a member of this church, one of the 141 members, people will fall away from this church and from every church. That is going to happen among our membership. God forbid, Lord, help it not to happen, but it, it's in the Bible for a reason. It's going to happen. We should not be surprised that it happens. We should not be self-righteous. We should be broken and grieving and wrestling with God in our prayers for each other. But we should not be surprised when it happens. Maybe surprised at who it happens to but we should not be surprised that it happens. Look at verse 15 again. Not only are you supposed to be receiving these greetings from all these brothers, but you're supposed to be giving greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home because they're close enough. They're only 10 miles away from this other church. So presumably you go visit other churches, right? You see these other members in these other churches. And so go encourage them and greet them on my behalf. Send greetings to one another. Who is Nympha? Presumably she's a wealthy woman who opened up her home and now that is the meeting space for their church apparently, according to this verse. Remember, churches didn't have church buildings back in those days. But notice here as we just look at this list, we have Archippus who's coming up next in verse 17. Notice these names. People that you probably didn't know, but who knew them? God knew them. Who else knew them? Paul knew them. And now these churches know them, right? They know them. Why? It's important to, to know each other's names, to get to know other people. Just, just keep listening. As I keep praying for different pastors here, you just keep hearing their names over and over again. Eventually, you run into them and like, hey, I think our church prays for you, right? And you, you, it's just getting uh, familiarizing yourself with their names. But why do we need to know these names? Why do we need to know each other's names? Because every member is important. Every member has dignity. Every member, according to Ephesians 4, is a blood-bought gift from Jesus Christ to this local church. Every single member. 
and every member ought to be remembered while we're here sharing life together and sharing Jesus. So brothers, greet one another. Sisters, greet one another. Greet guests, give and receive greetings. If you're a guest here from another church, thank you for visiting our church. We'd love to get you, get to know you more, get to know more about your life. We'd love to hear about your church and get to know your church that we might encourage, be mutually encouraged by what God's doing in your church family. So thanks for visiting us here. Take the encouragement here and bring it back to your church family. If you're not a Christian, we welcome you as well. We would love to get to know you and talk to you about Jesus. And if you're discouraged in your Christian life, if you're in a discouraged season of your Christian life right now, just know that Jesus sees you. Jesus cares about you. He comes to you today in the greeting and friendship of another person around you today. So be informed be greeted, be reading if you're going to fulfill your cooperative ministry. Verse 16, let's go a little bit faster. Verse 16, after reading this letter, after this letter has been read in your gathering, the book of Colossians, have it read also in the church in Laod, of, of the Laodiceans. So share this letter of Colossians to them and see to it that you also read a letter, read the letter from Laodicea. So what do we have here? A command to read. Publicly read these letters, read these letters together, share scripture. Scripture and apostolic teaching was highly valued and needed to be shared. If you had a book of the Bible, you shared it with other people. If you have a Bible, share it with other people. And hearing the Bible read out loud together does something similar to when you grab your phone and you just hit um, the app and you have them read the scripture to you. It does something similar. You're hearing the Bible read. But is there any difference from hearing the Bible read from your phone and hearing it read together as we're sitting here together? What are the differences? Can you think of any? Anyone want to say a difference? Passion. passion of the reading. You know the person reading as well. There's a personal connection. Anything else? When there are two or more gathered, uh, Christ is present in our physical presence together. Good. Anything else? It builds intimacy between the congregation. We're thinking about the same thing together. If you're, if you're, feeling, if you're thinking about not listening, you look around and what is everyone else doing? They're listening, so what are you pressured to do by peer pressure? You're pressured to listen, right? It's the words read, but the attention given. So as you're here, it's actually shaping you. Being here, gathered together, hearing God's word read out loud, it shapes you and it shapes our culture, and we're all participating in and reinforcing the culture every time we read scripture out loud or hear it exposited each Sunday. I saw um, our, I think Jet is our newest baby, our youngest baby right now, right? So far, I mean, I see Justin carrying Jet as we're singing, uh, singing um, God's word to each other. And I'm just thinking, he doesn't know what's going on, but he's just hearing voices. He's hearing the saints sing. He's growing up in a culture where he's hearing people praise Jesus. And what does that do? It shapes his life. It doesn't control him. He could still, any of our kids can reject the, the Lord, right? But there's a, there's a cultural shaping that's going on as we're hearing the word read out loud together. So hear the word out loud, read the word out loud. Now, um, let's turn in our Bibles now to Laodiceans chapter 3. There is no Laodiceans chapter 3. But, but in, the, in the text here, is there a letter to the Laodiceans? There is. Where is that letter? Is it on the internet? Yeah. Where, where's this letter? The, 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 the thing is, we don't, we don't know where this letter is. Some people argue that this is the letter to the Ephesians. Because Ephesians did say to the saints in Christ at, and it had a blank in the original, in the most, in the, the, the earliest manuscripts, which, which causes us to believe it's a circular letter. And when you read Ephesians, it's a very generalish letter. It's not really dealing with the details of that church. It's just kind of a general Christian living letter, right? So some people say, oh, maybe that was the letter to the Laodiceans. Maybe, but probably not. The point, and uh, not only this letter, uh, Paul wrote how many letters to the Corinthians? How many do we have in our Bible? Two. How many did you write? Probably four. Probably four letters. And we don't know where the other letters are. Now, were those letters scripture? Yes or no? How many of you say, yeah, those are scripture? I mean, like, they're inspired by God. That's what I mean. They're inspired by God and inerrant. Okay, how many of you say they're not? How many of you don't know? Yeah, I mean, you're like, oh, you should have led with that one, PJ. We would all raise our hands, right? Um, yeah. They could have been inspired by God and inerrant. They could also not be. 
Either way, it was in God's providence and plan that we would not have them preserved. So they could have been inspired, and that's okay. I mean, just like prophets speak prophecies that we don't have. We don't have those prophets, prophecies in writing. There is more divine revelation in this world than given in this book, right? But this is sufficient for all that we need of God's words for our life, okay? The Bible is sufficient for giving us all of God's words we need for our lives. Now, notice what I said there, because a lot of people get the sufficiency of Scripture wrong. They say the Bible's all we need for our life. That's not what I said, because that's not true. The Bible's all that we need for our Christian life. That's not true. Then why am I preaching? Why don't I just keep reading the Bible? Why do we need to gather together? There are other things we need in our lives for our Christian life. But the Bible has all the divine words we need. It has all of God's words that we need for our Christian life. Do you guys get that? That will help you a lot when people are debating, well, that's not biblical. You're like, wait, you don't need the Bible to talk about American history or, 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 or the current cultural crisis or, or about COVID. It's not sufficient to give us all the human words we need, but it gives all the divine words we need so we can navigate whatever situations we're in, okay? So read your Bible, read it with others. Praise God for giving us his word. Number four, be exhorting. Look at verse 17, and tell Archippus, and Archippus is probably Philemon's son who is also living in the house. Uh, we know this from Philemon verse two. Tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. It's funny, my son is here leading the gathering this morning, and I was thinking, you know, here, here Paul is talking to not the, the house church host, but the son, and telling him to fulfill his ministry. So I could say this to him, I could say this to any Christian. You know, you can look at any Christian in the church and say, hey, pay attention to your ministry so that you can fulfill it. Are you given a ministry? Yes or no? Yes, you are. You're given ministry. Now, Archippus might be a leader. We don't know that. Now, why should you pay attention? Why should you watch your ministry so that you can what? Accomplish it. Now, if you write in your Bible, you might want to scratch that word out. Maybe not scratch. That's too strong a word. You might want to put parentheses around, put fulfill it. Because remember, the whole book of Colossians have been talking about living the fulfilled life, right? Living your life of fullness in Christ. That's a theme in the book of Colossians. And this word is also tied to that theme. Archippus... BBC member, you want to live a full life? Pay attention to the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And all of you members have a ministry in the Lord. Pay attention to it. Grow in it. Get better at it. Serve others and serve the Lord better than you have last week and last month. Pay attention to your ministry and fulfill it. Now notice, Paul doesn't tell this to Archippus. Who does he tell this command to? Look at verse 17. Who does he tell this command to? He doesn't say, he's not, he's not speaking to Archippus. Who's he speaking to? The church. What's the command in verse 17? The, verse, the command in verse 17 is the second word. Tell Archippus, right? So what is this showing us? It's not just even about individual ministry. Who's responsible to help Archippus fulfill his ministry? The church. Yeah, that's right. Who's responsible to help you fulfill your ministry? The church. We get pastoral interns who come through here. We got pastoral assistants who come through our church. They are aspiring to pastoral ministry. Who makes them? Who's going to help them grow if they're going to become pastors? Who's going to shape them to fulfill their ministry as pastors? The church. Yes, Archippus has a, has a call here. Pay attention, Archippus. But the command is not, it's not, you got to read carefully. It's not specifically to Archippus. The command is technically to the church to tell Archippus a command. So Archippus gets his own command, pay attention. But church, you have a command. Tell each other. What? Fulfill your ministry. Maybe that could be one takeaway. When you're sharing with someone, look them in the eye and say, hey, brother, fulfill your ministry. Sister, pay attention to your ministry so that you can fulfill it. Encourage each other in each other's ministries. And let me just say one other thing here. So this means that you need to update each other on each other's what? Ministries. And I, I, I see this happening in your lives, and I hope this happens more. So let me say what I hope is happening in your lives. I hope when you join this church, your culture of friendship changes. Not only in this church, but the way you relate to other Christians from other churches. I hope it changes to be more Christ-centered and ministry-centered. So that when you hang out with other Christians, you're like, hey, how's your ministry going? How can I pray for your ministry? Pay attention to your ministry that you have received from the Lord, brother, sister, from that church, from that church, so that you can accomplish it. Your friendships become more Christ-centered, 
more ministry and mission focused and directed to exhort each other. Now, I'm not saying that's all you talk about in your friendships, but I pray, and I hope in you applying this passage and this command, that the culture of your friendships change more towards Christ, more towards the Great Commission, and more towards joy and celebrating the deep, meaningful, eternal things that you will share, not only in this life, but in the life to come when Christ returns. If you're not a Christian, what are you living for that's bigger than yourself? What are you living for that's bigger than your friendships? We got a big family, church family, right? It's not just the Christians of this church. We got a big family. We got a big Southern Baptist family, 47,000 churches. We got a big Christian family around the whole globe. And you know what? What's even bigger than our, our family is our God and the gospel and our Lord and his death and resurrection and his return and his mission, and we as members of this church live for that with them. If you're not a Christian, I invite you not only to know Jesus, but to enjoy the full life of living for something bigger than yourself. So be informed, be greeted, be reading, be exhorting, and lastly, be remembering. Look at verse 18. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. I'm going to cover grace be with you in the next sermon. So let me just cover the rest of verse 18 here. He's saying, Paul is saying, this letter is coming from me and I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. So recognize me as an apostle. Recognize my authority. Recognize my apostolic authority. And when you recognize that I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, my words have authority for you. And that's what the church devoted themselves to in Acts 2.42, right? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to prayers, to fellowship, and to the apostles' teaching. That's what Christians do. This is apostolic teaching. This is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, writing to us, these words are divinely um, obligatory and authoritative over our lives and over our church. And not only is Paul an apostle, look at, he says, remember my what? My chains. This goes back to my, one of my favorite passages in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 24 through 26, where Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing or fulfilling what is lacking in Christ's affliction for you so that the word of God would be fully known, that the gospel would fully grow. I love that. Paul says, remember my chains. I am pouring out my life for Jesus because he's worth it. I am imprisoned because the gospel is worth it. And this is the gospel that you have. This is the gospel that you live for. This is the mission that was given to you. This is the glorious Lord who died and rose for and leads and dwells in you. And we are chained to his gospel. We are chained to this mission. And sometimes we might be literally in chains in jail for the sake of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, fulfill your cooperative ministry so that you continue in Christ with a real sense of fullness and fulfillment. Be informed, be greeted, be reading, be exhorting, be remembering. That's how you fulfill your cooperative ministry. That's how you make your life count. That's how you live a full and fulfilled life. Isla Meyer mattered. The grace given to others, uh, the grace that was given to her served others, or grace was given to others and it served her and it helped her grow. And then she took that grace and served others as well in turn and even you. Isla's life mattered. You are not insignificant. You're, you're, you matter. Your life matters. Your life counts. Your ministry counts. Your ministry matters. Your prayers matter. Your presence, your attendance this Sunday matters. You being informed about other gospel ministries matters. Your greeting to who you greet today and who you're going to greet tonight, that's not a throwaway. That matters. Your reading and listening to preaching matters. Your exhortations to one another to fulfill your ministry and to pay attention to your ministry matters. Your remembering and recognizing apostolic doctrine matters. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, you have been given an opportunity with your life and your church and your network of relationships to push the gospel forward and make your life count forever. That's given to you by God. So here's my call to action. Pick one of these five things and try to grow in it today. This week, try to grow in it this week. 
Are you going to grow in being informed? Are you going to grow in greeting others more thoughtfully and meaningfully? Are you going to grow in paying attention to public reading and, and preaching? Are you going to grow in exhorting others and look someone in the eye and say, pay attention to your ministry and make sure you fulfill it? Are you going to grow in remembering apostolic doctrine and the value of the gospel worthy of our lives and sacrifice? Brothers and sisters, if you pick one of these keys, you will fulfill your cooperative ministry. If you don't do it, you'll live a small-minded, self-centered life. You'll work your tail off building a dead-end personal kingdom that's going to go away in the end anyways. And the full life you seek will be empty and maybe even, um, and, and, and you'll find out in the end, but hopefully in the middle of it if you wake up from your delusion. But if you fulfill your cooperative ministry, Christ will expand your mind to the greatness of his work in this world and your part in it, your significant, unique part in it. And you will grow in your sense and experience of your full life in Christ. Praise God that he makes our lives count, right? Pay attention to your ministry so that you fulfill it and continue to enjoy your full and fulfilling life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. So help us and help us through others even here today and through other fellow Christians outside of this church. Help us to pay attention to our ministries. The ministry you've given us in Christ so that we fulfill it, so that we complete it, and so that we accomplish it for the good and health of this church for the health and good of other churches here and abroad, for the spread of the gospel, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Please.